Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Job had this, I know, hope of faith after he had lost everything. He lost all his wealth, he lost his family, lost his wife, lost his everything, his health. And in that state, he proclaims this I know hope of faith when he says in Job 19.25, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, my kidneys, be consumed within me. This was Job saying that he knew that his Redeemer was living and that he's gonna see him. So in this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We read the strength of their hope, which is why that bumper sticker is really good that says wise men still seek him. That's a good bumper sticker. In other words, wise men are still eager with the I must find him. And wise men still have that hope that is centered in finding him. So these are two messages of the Magi when they ask this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? It's a message of eagerness and hope. Now the other takeaway that we get in verse one of chapter two is this Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But the description of the town of Bethlehem in verse two, which is taken from Micah 5.2, Micah 5.2, is that Bethlehem is the least among the princes, the towns of Judah. This is how it was then. And if you were to paraphrase verse six here into Yiddish, <laughs> then you would say that Bethlehem was a bupkus of a city. That's what you'd say. It's nothing. It's nothing of a city. So this is the point that verse six is making about Bethlehem. It's nothing compared to Jerusalem. And this is the message that the wise men got. The wise men came to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews. They're gonna find the king of the Jews in the capital, and they find out he's not there. And it's an amazing message behind the truth. It's like, if you wanna find the king of the Jews, then don't go to the capital of the Jews because you won't find the king of the Jews there. It's like saying, if you want to find the king of the Jews, don't go to the Jewish religion, Judaism, because you won't find the king of the Jews there. Because just as the Lord Jesus was not in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus is not in Judaism. And the Magi discovered that on their own. I mean, you know, that um, physically that far, but as far as prominence goes, he, he was born in a city of Bubkas. It was nothing. Bethlehem was just a city of nothing. And you look at those wise men, I look at these wise men and 
when I was looking for the Lord Jesus, and I told my wife, okay, you know, I'm becoming religious, I think you're totally becoming religious, and I gotta go look for God, and I can't go to a church, that's out of the question, I can't go to a church. They're gonna look at me, and they're gonna start this routine of, you killed our God, you killed our God, and I go running out of the church, and they're yelling, you killed our God, routine, I can't do that. So I said, okay, that's not an option for me. So I said, okay, I gotta go back to the synagogue, which I did. And I went back to the synagogue, and I thought, okay, I'm Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. These are the Jewish scriptures. So naturally, I'll find the Jewish Jesus in the synagogue, sort of. I mean, I really didn't really believe that, but okay, I thought, give it a shot. So, I, you know, I thought, well, okay, you know, you know I, this is pretty way out. Jesus is way out there as far as the Jews can. So I thought, I, I got to go to the part of Judaism which is way out, which is the reform. That's what they are. They're very way out. So I called the rabbi of the largest reform temple in San Diego in 1970, and I told him that I was reading what Moses wrote. And he said to me, stop right there. I have to tell you, I don't believe there was an actual person named Moses. And I was shocked. And then I said, I have to tell you that I'm sorry. I think I have the wrong number, and I hung up. (laughs) There wasn't a person named Moses. I mean, even Charlton Heston believed that there was a person named Moses, made a movie, Ben-Hur, you know. So then I thought, okay, okay, where now, Einstein? Where do you go now? So I decided to try the other side of the spectrum as well, the Orthodox temple. And I went to the service. After the service, I spoke to the rabbi, and I said, I was wondering, the rabbi says, I was wondering if Jesus might have been the Messiah. Well, you know, I wasn't surprised when the rabbi shut me right down, and he said, that's the first time, and that's the last time you'll ever say that name again. So, well, that, that's the way it was in my home. It wasn't a surprise. We weren't allowed to say the name of Jesus, so... And I went to the conservative temple, essentially no different. So that was my experience of going to Jerusalem and asking, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And just as the wise men were then led to leave Jerusalem, to leave the center of Judaism and go to Bethlehem, the city of nothing, you know, I was led to leave Judaism once and for all and go to a Baptist church in Pacific Beach, as far as the Jews are concerned, Baptist Church, that's a bubkus place. That's nothing. It reminds me when I met the Jewish doctor who treated Dr. David Jeremiah, and the Jewish doctor pulled me aside to help me, and he said to me, why are you mixed up with him? You know, so, <laughs> it was a bubkus Baptist church. That's where I found Jesus. And as far as the Jews were concerned, Bethlehem was a bubkus city. It was nothing. And that's where the wise men found the Lord Jesus. And this is what happened in Moses' day. In Moses' day, God decided, pull up stakes from the middle of the Jewish people, the camp of the Jewish people with his tabernacle, and he decided to set up his tabernacle, his camp, outside the camp. And anyone who wanted to find God, they had to leave. They had to leave the central camp of the Jewish people and go to the Bufkas place out there in the desert there, and that's where the tabernacle was, and that's what you had to do if you wanted to find God. And that's what it says in Exodus 33.7. Exodus 33.7 says... And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So at that time, anyone who wanted to meet with God, they had to walk out of the Jewish camp go to this bupkis place out there in Exodus 33, 7, and it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was outside the camp. That's the way it is today. 
That's the way it is today. Any person who wants to find God has to make the Exodus 33-7 trip going outside the camp of Judaism. When anyone wants to find God, he has to leave Judaism. But the primary emphasis on Exodus 33-7 is not the leaving of the camp. Exodus 33-7 says, they went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation. They went to God in the tabernacle. And that meant they had to leave the camp. But the emphasis is not on the going out. The emphasis is on the going to. In order to find God, they left the camp. It was to to find God that they went outside the camp of Judaism. And this is the call to anyone who wants to find God. You gotta go outside. Commenting on all of this, I was just talking about Exodus 33.7. The book of Hebrews, again, makes the primary emphasis of going to the Lord Jesus Christ as it puts it in Hebrews 13.13. Hebrews 13.13 says, let us go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Bearing his reproach. What's that reproach? Well, the reproach is like, you're leaving Judaism. My rabbi friend said, you left a good place to go to nothing. And that's what it means, bearing his reproach. So this leaving in order to go to God is also the emphasis in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it's really Gentiles now. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 is speaking to Gentiles, Hebrews 13 to Jews, but now to Gentiles, same emphasis in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves show of us what mannering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Okay, now, in verse 11 now, we see this, what the wise men did when they came to the house there. In verse 11, it says, when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, you look at that verse, and you just extract out the verbs. Here you see, when they're come into the house, they came. So this is the first part. Then they saw, or they looked, they beheld him. And then they fell down, or they submitted themselves to him. And then they presented, or they gave their gifts. So these are four really important actions in sequence here. First, they came to see the Lord Jesus. Then they beheld him. And then they fell down in front of him. And then they gave their gifts. Now, if you look at that, that's kind of like a pattern of what happens to every person who becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus. First, a person has to come to see. They have to come. Sometimes this is the hardest step for a person to actually take the step to turn to God. It reminds me of the man who lives near here and has come to family nights. And, and I told you this. I met him on the driveway out there the other Sunday. And I said, no, I rolled down a window. I said, hey, you need to come to church. He, said, he yells, oh, no. You know, he that goes on. <laughs> a person has to first turn to God. It reminds me of another friend. He's asking me questions about God. He'll ask a question and then he'll draw back. He'll run back. You know, he closes off. Reminds me of, I get plagued with rabbits in my house, you know, so anyway. So, so one of my uh, phases I went through was that I was going to trap the rabbits. I have these 16 cameras around my house so I could see what's going on. Anyway, going to trap the rabbits, you know, so I got all these traps. 
you know, go online, this person says, oh, this trap is guaranteed to trap rabbits, you know, and, you know, very elaborate trap. And I study, you know, what are you supposed to put in traps? I put the apples and lettuce and, I don't remember, raspberries, whatever it was. It's interesting because the rabbits would show an interest in the traps, and they would come close and look over the food, and then all of a sudden they would dart away, just like that. You know, so many people are like those rabbits. They come close, they're thinking about God, they're looking for God, and then all of a sudden they get scared and they dart away. Now, these people that are in Jerusalem, they're kind of interesting because they tell Herod where the king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. It's kind of symbolic a little bit of people who can tell others how to find the Lord Jesus, but they haven't actually found him themselves. And you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, we can see that symbolized here. They're able to show others how to get to the king of Jews, but they haven't gone themselves. And this is possibly someone can lead a person to the Savior and not actually be saved himself. All right, so the Magi, here they are. They enter into the house, and they come into the house, and they behold. It says they saw, they beheld him. They just looked at him. And a person, when they turn to the Lord Jesus, they have to really do what the Magi did here, just behold him. Look at him in his beauty, especially the beauty of him as he's giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Because salvation only comes when a person looks at him and realizes he's dying for my personal sins, and which is what he said in Isaiah 45, 22. Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me all and be ye saved all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, there's none else. Then after they look at him, then they fall down. And that speaks of just a a total submission. Falling down before him is like a total submission where a person says, my life I give to you. Everything I give to you. That's the falling down part. And then last, they give their gifts. Those are essential sequences, essential steps that a true believer goes through. And it's important to see they only gave their gifts after they fell down. They gave themselves to the Lord. Then they gave their gifts. So God is looking first at them and what is their response to God, and they fall down, then the gifts. That sequence of looking first at the person and then at the gifts is what we see in the first gifts that were given to the Lord in the Bible. Anybody know who the first one was to give gifts to the Lord in the Bible? Starts with letter A, and then after that comes B, Abel. That's right. It's Abel. So Genesis 4.4. Genesis 4.4 is Abel. It says, and Abel, he brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And this is interesting the way it says next. And the Lord had respect unto his offerings. No. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So first, the Magi fall down, and then they give the gifts. And you can see God saying, and the Lord had respect unto the Magi. They gave themselves to the Lord and to their gifts when they gave all their, what they had there. Now, those gifts turned out to be pretty important because it was what the family needed as they're gonna, there's a poor family. Doesn't have anything. But yet now they have what they need to make this trip down to Egypt and to escape the sword of Herod. And it kind of shows that God provides for what we need. Now, just when the Magi now are about to return to Jerusalem, to Herod, they get this warning. 
in verse 12, this warning where it says, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, this must have been something. must have been something for the Magi to be warned, don't go back to Herod. I mean, you know, these Magi, I mean, can you imagine the stories that they would have? You know, people would say when they got back home, so what happened? (laughs) They'd say, you're not going to believe this, but anyway. But it was an exciting trip for them. So the Magi, we think about it, when they got into Jerusalem, we talked about the one strange thing to them, but there were really two strange things that happened to them in Jerusalem when they come in with their question in verse 2, where is he this born king of the Jews? As we mentioned, first they're just it's strange to them, and they're surprised to find this total apathy on the part of the Jews over the newborn king of the Jews. And they just found the Jewish people, they don't have any interest in the Messiah. You know, I mean, you know, you think about it. No, nah, that can't be right, right? The Jews have no interest in the Messiah. No. <laughs> but the shock that the Magi had when they realized, it's the same shock that happens to Gentile believers today is they realize that, wow, Jesus is Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. And they think, wow, what a discovery I've made. I've come so far, you know, like the Magi. And the Jews are so close. And all I got to do is just connect the dots, you know, and then they're going to be so happy, going to find their own Messiah. And so the Jewish believers, you know, they go to the Jews, the Gentile believers, they go to the Jews, and they got all this eagerness of Philip. He goes and finds Nathaniel in John 145, John 145. Philip findeth Nathaniel, saith unto him, we have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. This is kind of like these Gentile believers. They go to the Jews, they say, look, I found him. I found your Messiah. Here he is. He's Jesus of Nazareth. That's your Messiah. Come see for yourself in the Bible. And the reaction they get from the Jews is, Messiah, Messiah, who cares? Bible? What is that Bible? You're talking about that book that I had to memorize these Hebrew sounds so I could get to the party at my bar mitzvah? Well, what? Messiah Bible. And that is, in essence, the response that the Magi got when they came to Jerusalem. They're all excited. Where is he? Where's the king born, the king of the Jews? They come to the capital. We've seen a star. We've seen a star, king of the Jews. And, you know, the Jews say, star, shmar. You know, who cares? And so this is the first surprise that the Magi found in Jerusalem. But there's another surprise they got. And all of a sudden, here's this cruel Roman ruler named Herod, and he's showing this very strong, unusual interest to want to come and worship the king himself. And that just didn't quite set right with them. Something was fishy. So they're kind of suspicious of Herod. They don't trust Herod. And there's something that just didn't seem right about Herod and his desire to worship the king. So their suspicion is now confirmed with God who gives them this dream and warns them, don't go back there. And the record states in verse 12, verse 12, they departed into their own country another way. And the Greek word for departed there actually means escaped. They escaped. So here they are. Once they come and they worship the king of the Jews, they present the gifts, they're ready to go home. And the most direct home is through Jerusalem. Maybe the dream came to the Magi as they were thinking about Herod and something's not right. It's kind of like Joseph in the previous chapter. You know, Joseph, he finds that Mary is pregnant and he's told it's from the Holy Ghost. And he says, this doesn't seem right. It's not setting right. And he can't figure it out. So the record shows in chapter one, verse 20, chapter one, verse 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. 
saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, that which is conceived in terms of the Holy Ghost. It was while he thought on these things that, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. So we can imagine that it was while the Magi thought about Herod and going back through Jerusalem that they had this dream. Just a dream. It was a dream. It was funny because it was a dream that saved the Lord Jesus from the sword as a baby. I mean, God knows how to do things right. So it all kind of happened very fast. I mean, you can picture the Magi arrive in Bethlehem. They go immediately to the newborn king of the Jews. They worship him. They give their gifts. And really, at that point, they're done. Their whole business is done. It took them two years to get there and get going and so forth and planning and whatever. But it's all over pretty quickly. So before they head back home, they spend one night in Bethlehem. And it's during this night that they had this dream that they should not go back through Jerusalem. And they knew that Herod had commanded them to come back with the information of where the king of the Jews is, and that was dangerous for them to not obey Herod. So they're put into this bind. Boy, this, you know, this is very dangerous for our lives if we don't obey Herod, but God has told us. That's the same bind that the disciples were put in, but Peter and the apostles, when in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, Acts chapter 5, verse 28, which says, the authorities said, we definitely commanded and strictly charged you to not teach in or about this name, yet here you have flooded Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. It's really the Magi have come to the same conclusion. We must obey God rather than Herod. So, the Magi, very interesting. Very interesting people in the Bible. Amazing, amazing how they just sort of appear out of nowhere and disappear into nowhere, kind of like Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he appears out of nowhere, he disappears into nowhere. We don't hear any more about Melchizedek, we don't hear any more about these Magi, but the lessons that they teach us in their appearance, they show us eagerness to find God, hope in God, obedience to God. They show us what it means to seek and to enter into and to submit to and to worship the Lord Jesus and then give to him. And they're the foreshadowing of the coming of the Gentiles. In stark contrast, they are to unbelief. And uh, who knows, maybe they're gonna appear again, as the Lord said about the Queen of Sheba, as voices of condemnation to those who should have come and didn't come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you did for these magi, Lord, and thank you for recording for us this morning what you did and uh, for what we can learn from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Friday, April 12th. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or visit us at creationbookstore.com that's creationbookstore.com <laughs> 